Hello, this is Darren Pulsifer, Chief Solution Architect of Public Sector at Intel. And welcome to Embracing Digital Transformation, where we investigate effective change leveraging people, process, and technology. On today's episode, Digital Transformation in the Civilian Federal Government with special guest, Mark Valchek. Mark, welcome to the show. Hi, Darren. Thanks for having me today. Good to see you. So Mark is our general manager of uh, Federal Civil. Is that right? Federal Civil? That sounds wrong. Yeah, the federal civilian uh, departments and agencies. Everything except for DOD and the intelligence community. Oh, that's, that's huge, Mark. Yeah. Yeah. So, you, so Mark, tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, my, my viewers, as to get to know you a little bit better. Sure. Yeah. So I've been here at Intel for 23 years, going on 24 years. And I've had several jobs. Uh, started in our, our cloud business, uh, which um, we we incorporate all the learnings into our Xeons, and now we've got the best uh, cloud uh, processors out there. And uh, I worked in IT for about four or five years as a data analyst and an enterprise architect uh, before uh, getting back into sales, which is where I was before joining Intel. Uh, I joined our reseller channel organization and led our uh, federal channel efforts uh, for a couple of years before uh, swapping jobs with one of my counterparts, Dave Everard, and um, taking on the civilian uh, account executive job and did that for about 16 years um, wow. up till last year when um, I began uh, managing uh, the team, calling on the federal civilian government, which includes federal healthcare, right? The VA, HHS, and DHA. It includes the space and energy accounts, NASA and Department of Energy and um, also uh, law enforcement, DHS, DOJ, and the State Department diplomacy mission, um, as well as the citizen services accounts. So post office, treasury, transportation, and several other departments and a agencies uh, within US federal government. That's a huge job, Mark. Yeah, it's exciting. Let me tell you, lots of opportunity to help our uh, government agencies understand the value of new technology and uh, to embrace that uh, to help them accelerate their mission and get you know better time to mission insights uh, as well as providing the uh, IT utilities that uh, the departments need to run on right email and office applications and other enterprise apps you know kind of what we would call the mundane type of things but the yep. things that keep everything running right they do and let me tell you if um, email's not running that that creates a major problem for a lot of mission critical agencies um, like FEMA, right? I mean, they they um, use, and we all do, we use that tool to to run our business to some extent or to different extents. And um, yeah, that, that those utilities need to be up and running 24 7, 365. So, all right. So Mark, because you have such a broad view of our federal government, which you do, right? Because you cover so many different agencies, what kind of trends are you seeing over the past, let's say the past three or four years, what trends have you seen over the over that time, kind of a broad brush across everything? Yeah, so federal agencies are in the midst of a significant digital transformation, and they've got the formidable task of continuously delivering on large-scale operational goals and initiatives in environments with ever-changing conditions and requirements. So, you know, they've got to continue flying the plane and change the wheels and change the engines and change the frame and transform is probably a better word 
to improve the way that they're able to deliver uh, their services uh, to their constituents, right? Like citizens and to provide a, a customer experience. So customer experience has been a big focus. Um, as a matter of fact, you know, I just um, flew back from out of uh, country and um, uh, my plane was delayed and I was waiting in the airport and someone said to me, oh, have you seen the new uh, Customs and Border Protection mobile passport application? I said, what? What is that? What is that? Oh, I've used that. That's yeah. super cool. So I downloaded it sitting in the airport and when we uh, hit the ground um, in Houston, I was uploading my passport, entering the names and filling out that old paper form that you had to do by hand. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then um, very tight connection. And guess what? We got to cut the line and we went to a very short line and got through customs in about five minutes thanks to that new um, So, Mark, don't tell everyone. I don't want everyone to be in the short line <laughs> with that me, right? <laughs> that's right. No, that, that's a very, that, that's a very um, good use case. I've seen similar things here. Yep. In California with the DMV. Mm -hmm. um, and I think COVID kind of forced the hand. Have you seen COVID yes. have a have a huge effect on on the, the civilian side of federal government as well? Yeah, I think uh, COVID, you know, just like um, Pat Gelsinger says uh, at Intel, you know, it, it, it took 10 years of innovation and collapsed it down to one or two years. Right. And we're seeing similar things within our federal agencies. Um, you know, one, another example is. Um, you know, guess what? My passport was going to expire and needed to get it renewed. And I thought to myself, oh, no, now I got to schedule time. I got to go get a picture taken at a pharmacy. I got to go to the post office. Well, I went to their website and they had this new beta version of renewing your passport online. Shrunk the time required down to minutes. Didn't even need to leave my home. And that, you know, is a result probably of, you know, trying of to COVID, avoid. Right? Yeah. yeah. Trying to avoid having to interact with people and and you know do things more automatically uh, using systems that are available to us uh, through our you know Intel uh, based PC. So so do you do you think that um, well, well let's go back. COVID accelerated a lot of things. Did it expose anything in in doing that as well? Yeah, well, I mean, specifically um, things like VPN uh, connections, right? There, that the, the utilities that IT provided um, were sufficient for occasional work from home, um, but you know they needed to be uh, more robust and um, be able to su support the capacity needed w with everybody working remotely. Um, yeah, and then also um, security. Um, uh, users, right? Uh, so there are intelligence analysts within the civilian government, um, and um, th there were issues with them being able to work remotely, um, which have actually um, been satisfied with some new capabilities that leverage software and hardware security and, and enable a um, robust, um, secure connection that is, is CSFC uh, capable. So, yeah, it exposed some gaps, a couple of those I mentioned, and then, you know, steps that were putting in place to actually address those gaps. So, so do you think we've, we've overcome a lot of those, those gaps from the initial, I, I remember when COVID hit, it was like, spend as much money as you can to keep the business going or to keep the service going or whatever the case was, was right. I mean, we, we did everything we possibly could. Now we're kind of in this lull, right? Do we still see innovation happening as fast? Has it slowed way down and now we're just put the bureaucracy back in and slow everything down? Where do you see things going? 
Yeah, I, I would definitely say that uh, my observation is that innovation has continued. Uh, and, um, you know, that's being driven by uh, executive orders. Um, executive order uh, around cybersecurity uh, is one of them. Um, that is driving continued innovation uh, around um, cybersecurity and secure supply chain. There's also a big drive to improve customer experience. So let's talk about innovation then. Um, if if uh, organizations, agencies are being more innovative, where are they being innovative? Where are they headed? Right, because if we need to be in front of that, right, to help them and guide them along to this innovation. So where where are those areas that you see innovation happening? Yeah, there's a um, great demand for you know. First, it was called cloud first. And now we have cloud smart within the U.S. federal government that persists and um, continuing to see innovation and actually embracing cloud smart uh, in that um, cloud isn't a place that you go. It's a um, architecture that you embrace and allows you to uh, take advantage of a lot of the uh, economies of scale that are available. And that could be done in a multi-hybrid cloud world. So it, it could be done on-prem, it could be done off-prem. Uh, and, you know, what we see is, is continuing to have to um, communicate and educate folks on, you know, what is the right performance, what is the right security, what is the right cost model in trying to make decision on where you put a workload. Um, and um, implementing those cloud technologies that allow you to uh, move your workloads, you know, uh, with ease um, between cloud providers and between your on-prem system and the off-prem system as well. You know, when you were, when you brought that up, it reminded me of you and I going to what was it, Department of Homeland Security? Yes. And in that awful building where you get lost really easily, I can't remember the name. Was it the Roosevelt Building or something like that? Or it's the GSA Building. The GSA Building, yeah. yeah. Yeah, we walked in there and confused where we were. I was confused. You knew your way around. Um, and we talked exactly about this. And this was, what, four years ago? It was yes. pre-COVID. Yep. Um, and it's great to see people starting to adopt this multi-hybrid cloud and all of the aspects of it that, that you have to deal with, security, data management, all those sorts of things yep. are real things that are happening now, right? Yep. Yeah, I mean, and that, you know, that just shows that... Um, it takes time to architect change and to implement change, right? And um, it's a journey, you know, it's something that doesn't happen in a quarter or sometimes even in a year, uh, but you need a plan, you need an architecture, you need a plan and you've got to move out on the plan and hit your milestones along the way. And, you know, that's what's these, these large scale uh, digital transformation projects are uh, extremely important and uh, you need to be able to measure yourself at, uh, with some early successes on a multi-year journey. And uh, we're starting to see some of those successes play out. So I like, I like that. So measure early successes. Instead of saying, oh, in five years, we're going to have this big old huge thing. Have some early milestones that you can hit and check the box off and say, yeah, we're doing well. Exactly. You, no, I like that. All right. So cloud is one of the big innovations. That's what I heard. What's another uh, big innovation that you're seeing or a big concern that needs to be addressed? Yeah, some of um, 
some of the other latent needs that we're starting to see come up as as needs is um, edge uh, edge computing and doing a better job at um, getting insights out of the information on the edge faster uh, as opposed to having to wait until there's a connection and you could do the backend data processing you know just move those inferencing models right out to the edge you're still going to do some training and update the models on a regular basis but put the power of the insights right out the edge into the operator's hands right and we see homeland security expressing those needs uh as well as other as well as other agencies all right so get, give me some idea um because we hear this inference at the edge i even talk about it give me some practical uh use cases for that what does that what does that mean edge i mean is it a sensor sitting somewhere or i mean what i mean how how profound or how big is the edge or what does it include yeah good good uh good good question um there's a there's a few examples um that uh are still being worked on so probably too early to talk about them um but in in an essence it's taking together um multiple sensors information fusing them together and uh, being able to get insights out of two pieces of data. So if you um, think about a um, agricultural use case, uh, having a, a water sensor uh, monitor deployed within, within a farm setting in multiple locations will you know, give you the data that you need uh, in order to understand um, yeah, uh, you know how, how how much water to uh, be applying uh, in 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 the fields in the farms, as an example. I like that one. One that came to my mind too was the U.S. Postal Postal Service. Mm -hmm. They have how many edge devices do they have? Uh, you know, every single um, vehicle has, and and the post. I, I've noticed the postal people carry around a a device now. They they said I just delivered this right, yep. and they yep. Scan yeah, that, everything. That's incredible. That is a good. That is a good example at the post office, and there are um, several use cases where um, they're actually using technology to move the uh, mail through the mail plants uh, and to uh, manage or automate their their logistical uh, uh, supply chain, um, as well as all of the uh, routing of the um, uh, mail delivery trucks, um, and especially as um, uh, the um, workforce, um, which is the baby boomer workforce today, is retiring. Um, and uh, there are a lot of uh, mail delivery um, clerks that um, have the best uh, optimized route up there in their head. And when they retire, how do you transfer that knowledge to the new, new person? And that's being done through, through automation uh, and um, you know, optimized mail delivery routes. Um, that are available on the edge device uh, and uh, are being modeled through backend uh, systems uh, to provide, you know, real-time uh, routes for the delivery of mail to save money on fuel, uh, to save time, so that the mail clerk's not out delivering, you know, past uh, past the dark <laughs> when the dark comes. Um, they can get their work done during normal hours quicker, more efficiently, and when, um, when to take their smoke break. Yeah, you know, I've, I've seen, lunch. I've seen. Lunch and things like that. Um, I think this is really cool because you brought up another area that I'm starting to see as well, and that's automation. Yep.
automation, as you mentioned, it's a really important innovation that people are starting to yes. take more advantage of. Like you said, because the work, uh, we're going to have a work sh uh, shortage. Mm -hmm. We're already starting to have it. I mean, there already is a work shortage and it's even, it's going to get even worse as the yep. baby boomers retire. Right. So, yeah. And, you know, another uh, automation example for you is, um, have you ever, have you ever gone to the grocery store store and brought home flowers or fruit yeah. and then a day or two later, the fruits, the, the fruits bad, you got to throw it away or the petals are falling off the flowers. You, you know, just, just scrape off the bad parts and eat, eat the rest. Come on. <laughs> um, well, there, there was an issue with, um, uh, how that produce and flowers was, um, coming into the country and taking too, too much time to, uh, to get inspected and processed. Oh, at the border, right. At the border. Yeah. So yeah. that was, um, addressed through an automation project. And, um, instead of the, uh, inspectors going out with a clipboard and paper and checking containers, and then at the end of the day, getting back to their computer terminal and entering the information and at processing, they went to a real time, uh, digital application running on a core V pro tablet. And the inspectors were walking out now with that tablet and doing real-time inspection and, and, you know, clearing or processing of um, that produce and those flowers. Um, and that resulted in them getting on those store shelves quicker. And um, therefore, you know, your flowers now lasting longer when you get them home. And uh, so is your produce. So, I you mean, know, that, that's really cool because that you, you just touched on edge um automation and process reengineering right so yep. we're we're seeing this is what really truly is a digital transformation right i'm really yeah. i'm getting rid of steps in the process uh, very very cool very cool examples um what about security what are you seeing in in security you mentioned earlier the executive order um the latest one that came out around um software bombs and around um cybersecurity um, are you, is, is that the only forcing factor that's forcing security? Are we seeing other things that are, that are contributing to that? Yeah, I, I think, um, the threats that we've seen, uh, over the past several years, um, have resulted in the focus and the, uh, executive order. Um, and this is an area where the federal government has prioritized, um, for the past year, uh, the adoption of zero trust. Um, and also the recent release of the National Cybersecurity Strategy, which urged agencies to implement zero trust in order to bolster cybersecurity against these constantly evolving threats. Um, so, you know, one way that um, Intel looks to help is by providing uh, security, hardware security technology that works with the software security technology and provides a deeper in-depth capability. Um, you know, one of the examples is the encryption of data in process, right? For years, we've been encrypting data in transit. We've been encrypting data at rest. Well, what happens when you have a bad actor on your system, um, which, you know, we've seen evidence of that happening yeah, quite have. a bit with, with all of these uh, nefarious activities happening in the cyber world. Um, well, guess what? They could see that data as it's being processed. Well, you know, you have the ability through uh, confidential computing um, based on Intel's uh, SGX software guard extensions to actually encrypt that data in process. So if the nefarious actor is, is looking at it, trying to read it, guess what? They can't see it because it's all encrypted. 
right? So these are ways where, um, you know, number one, um, the um, threat landscape is continuing to evolve. The bad actors are, are, are continuously innovating, right? This isn't just about enterprises and governments innovated, innovating. This is about the criminals innovating too. And you yeah, have to yeah, keep absolutely. up. Otherwise, they're going to get ahead and, you know, we're going to continue to see um, issues and um, uh, threats and exploits in the environment. I, I noticed you know, there was a press release by um, Joe Biden, President Biden, um, uh, beginning of March about um, the uh, cybersecurity. And the number one issue he said was critical infrastructure protection. Yep. So in, in the federal civilian side, uh, government, who manages critical infrastructure? Or is it managed by the states? Or, I mean, who's... Who, Who's looking over that, over this whole, you know, 50, sure. we're a weird country, right? Because yep. we got 50 independent states, right? Yes. That, you know, yep. like to do their own thing. So, yeah. I mean, yeah, who's so managing got, that? Who's helping out with all that? Yeah, so you've got um, state um, uh, and uh, local uh, municipalities that manage parts of the uh, critical infrastructure. You've got private companies like power companies that manage, you know, portions of the power power grid. Um, and they, there's guidance being provided by Homeland Security, by the critical infrastructure, um, CISA, by the CISA group within, within DHS, um, which is a critical infrastructure security agency, a fairly new agency within DHS. It's been growing a lot and, uh, they provide guidance on, uh, critical infrastructure, um, as well as the manufacturing sector, right? You know, even Intel. Um, gets guidance from uh, from CISA and collaborates with with DHS uh, around cybersecurity, um, and then they also set the standards uh, for um, you know what what a secure system is and what the what the specs of a secure system are um, for all the agencies in the federal government as well as uh, state and local and and, uh, and and tribes as well. So a lot of work being done by CISA. NIST is another important research agency. Um, and then there's also the um, Office of Science and Technology within DHS that does research. Um, NIST has been doing great work for several years. And there's uh, examples of uh, Intel working with NIST and the National Cyber, Cyber Center, uh, the NCCOE, the National Cyber Center, uh, Cybersecurity Center of Excellence. Um, and uh, we've been able to prove out reference architectures for various things. One of them, the more recent one that's is, is exciting is uh, SP 1800-34 A, B, and C, which demonstrates a way in a zero trust uh, fashion to uh, validate the integrity of the components within a system, CPU as well as other components. Um, and this is important um, because cybersecurity isn't uh, just focused on the security of the of what's running on the systems, but the security of the you need to also focus on the security of the components uh, that are in those systems, which is another attack vector, right? So this goes into that secure supply chain concept, right? Correct. I need to know what I'm running my stuff on. Yes. Right? All right, Mark. So uh, uh, tell me a little bit more about the secure su uh, supply chain. Um, you mentioned a little bit that it's important, um, 
to give me where where do we stand? Where do you think we stand with this uh, as a country? Yeah, I think, you know, this is going back to COVID as well. I think, you know, COVID exposed um, geopolitical risks with supply chain. Um, and then on top of that, there are um, cybersecurity risks that have been identified based on uh, geopolitical adversaries around the world. Um, and that's really driving the need for a, a way to balance uh, supply chain um, you know, across geographies. For, for example, the semiconductor supply chain, uh, more than um, 80 percent uh, is manufactured in Asia. Uh, and, and, uh, less than, uh, well, in the teens is, is manufactured here in the U S that is imbalanced, right? You know, if, if there are, are geopolitical issues that are, um, going to occur in Asia, uh, that prevent semiconductors from being, uh, exported, that's going to impact everything in our economy and actually becomes a, an issue of industrial security and U S national security. Um, so, so it's 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 the supply, right? So if our supply is cut off, we can't we can't produce. That's that's a, a key aspect. That's why the Chips Act was so important, and right? Getting the Chips Act passed, right? Yep. Uh, what about our um, what about our technology being produced in Asia that we're using? Is there any threat at all at malware or um, nefarious things being put into our products as they're coming back to us from, from, um, other countries. I'd Is say that yes. a concern or, and I'd say that could happen anywhere that a product's manufactured. Right. And therefore, yeah. you know, if you've got a way to verify the integrity of a supply chain component that will, um, provide you with, um, you know, a way to solve that issue. And, um, that capability is available today. It's part of Intel's transparent supply chain. That's part of all of the Xeon uh, server processors that we manufacture for cloud providers, as well as uh, on-prem data centers. And it's part of all of our core vPro processors that are available on laptops and desktops. So um, you're, you're telling me that Intel, I can, I can see where all the components came from and I can guarantee they haven't changed. Is that yes. what I just heard? Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's pretty slick. Um, now that's on the hardware side. Do I care about the software side? Uh, probably. I know oh, I absolutely. do. That's why I brought it up. Yeah, but. absolutely. Both. Yeah, both are important. Both both are absolutely important. And they, they um, you know, if, if, if you're looking at supply chain security, you need to look at both. You can't look at one. Uh, you know, you need to look at both the software, the firmware, as well as the hardware. Uh, all have attack vectors and, um, you know, all... Uh, need um, to have the ability to provide, um, you know, a, a secure software bill of materials, uh, as well as the ability to validate secure component verification device integrity, which is what we could do with transparent supply chain. Yeah, I know there's a there's an executive order around um, software um, bill of materials as well. Mm -hmm. um, by Q2, we need to start having that. Good news is Intel is is adhering to that um, on our on our new processors uh, coming out, including the the software, the firmware, and uh, and other things coming out, which is really cool. In fact, I was um, I was just reading an article recently about there was this one open source component that's used in like eighty percent of all the software written in Node.js. Like everyone uses this thing. Yep, and it's written by one guy. Yeah, isn't that a little scary? And, oh my goodness. And he said 
I'm tired of everyone making money off of me. So I want some money or, you know, I'm, I'm going to hold this thing hostage. Um, and, and guess what? People ponied up money and gave him sure money. Did. Yep. Um, but that's another aspect of supply chain on the software side. I don't think we totally realize it. Open source is a good thing, but you got to know who's actually developing that open source. And is it a thriving community or is it one or two guys? Um, it used to be a thriving community. Maybe it's not anymore. So there's a lot of aspects to supply chain uh, that we got to look at. Yeah, that's a good point. So, all right, Mark, this has been wonderful. I think you've given some great insight into uh, what's going on in the federal uh, civilian government. Any last words for our, our listeners? Well, it's been a pleasure speaking with you today, Darren. I appreciate the time. And you know, just remember that Intel offers a host of hardware security technologies, as well as transparent supply chain capabilities that are uh, available you know, uh, uh, today and uh, that can be leveraged as part of your uh, zero, zero trust architecture. So appreciate the time and I uh, hope everyone has a great day. Hey, thanks a lot, Mark. Thank you for listening to Embracing Digital Transformation today. If you enjoyed our podcast, Give it five stars on your favorite podcasting site or YouTube channel. You can find out more information about Embracing Digital Transformation at embracingdigital.org. Until next time, go out and do something wonderful.